Chapter Twenty Eight of the History of Burke and Hare, and of the Resurrectionist Times. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by John Brandon. The History of Burke and Hare, by George McGregor. Chapter Twenty Eight. Burke's spiritual condition. The erection of the scaffold, the criminal's last hours, seen at the execution, behavior of the people. The hour for the closing scene of the Burke and Hare tragedy was now almost come, and Burke, to all appearance, seemed to regard his approaching fate with composure. He is even reported to have declared that had a pardon been offered him, he would have refused it. But if the story is true, it is more likely that the firm conviction that a pardon would not be granted had as much to do with the remark as any sentiment of resignation. It was simply a case of bowing before the inevitable. And so far as the outward affairs of religion were concerned, the condemned man was very attentive, though it could not be said that he looked forward to eternity with hope, or if he did, he kept his feelings very much to himself. A large section of the people, always inclined for dogmatic discussion on religious matters, found full scope for their critical powers in the consideration of Burke's spiritual state. The rank and unbending Calvinists argued that a new spiritual birth was, under the circumstances, if possible, and on that point they were doubtful not at all probable, while the Armenians, with a wider theology, thought in the words of the paraphrase. As long as life, its terms extends, hope's blessed dominion never ends. For while the lamp holds on to burn, the greatest sinner may return. Theologians, however, could discuss as much as they liked, but it was never certain whether Burke's spiritual state was such as to give reason for hope. The execution, it has been seen, was fixed to take place on Wednesday, the 28th, January, 1829, and to this event the people had looked forward with ghastly satisfaction. Indeed, so high did public feeling run that the authorities deemed it prudent to remove Burke from Carlton Hill Jail to the lock-up in Liberton's Wind at four o'clock on the morning of Tuesday, the 27th January, the day before the execution. This was absolutely necessary, as had the removal taken place at a time when the people were about, or were expecting it, the probability was that instead of undergoing a judicial execution, Burke would have been torn to pieces by an infuriated mob. The long confinement in prison had not changed his appearance much. He was given a black suit in which to appear on the scaffold, and this afforded him some consolation. Shortly after noon on the same day, preparations were begun at the place of execution in the lawn market. Strong poles were placed in the street to support the chain by which the crowd was to be kept back, and on this occasion the space was considerably larger than usual. The work progressed, witnessed by a large crowd which gradually swelled in size as the excited people came to see the erection of the structure that was to work legal vengeance on a hated murderer. 
as the night went on and the work approached completion the rain fell heavily but the crowd notwithstanding showed no diminution and whenever any important part of the erection was finished they raised an approving cheer about half-past ten o'clock the frame of the gibbet was brought to the spot and its appearance was the signal for a tremendous shout it was quickly put in its place for the men did their job with a grim satisfaction and when all was completed the crowd as a contemporary newspaper put it evinced their abhorrence of the monster burke and all concerned in the westport murders by three tremendous cheers and these were heard as far away as princes street this was about two o'clock in the morning and wet and dismal though it was those anxious to see burke suffer for his crimes were beginning to take up their places closes and stairs were quickly packed by intending sightseers who preferred to remain outside all morning than run the risk of being disappointed by arriving late by seven o'clock the vicinity of the scaffold was occupied by one of the densest crowds until that time witnessed on the streets of edinburgh from twenty thousand to twenty-five thousand persons were calculated to be present many of the best people in the city being among them every window giving a view of the place of execution had been bought up some days previous the price paid varying according to the excellence of the view from five to twenty shillings the scene at this time said the writer already quoted was deeply impressive no person could without emotion survey such a vast assemblage so closely wedged together gazing at the fatal apparatus and waiting in anxious and solemn silence the arrival of the worst of murderers matters meanwhile had been going on quietly inside the prison burke had during the day been visited by the reverend messrs reed and stewart two priests of the roman catholic church and the reverend messrs porteous and marshall protestant ministers and he received their spiritual consolations calmly but without much apparent benefit though he lamented his connection with the murders to which he had confessed he slept soundly the greater part of that night and rose about five o'clock on the wednesday morning shortly after wakening he held up his hands and remarked with an earnestness that struck his attendants oh that hour has come which shall separate me from this world this was thoroughly dramatic but whether it proceeded from a weariness of this life or a hope for a better can never be known an incident even more dramatic but similar in character occurred shortly afterwards he had been placed in irons shortly after his condemnation and he now expressed a desire to be freed from them the men proceeded to knock them off and the fetters fell with a clank on the floor of the cell so may all my earthly chains fall exclaimed burke these remarks whatever his spiritual condition show that he was a man however debased by a terrible curse of wickedness of considerable education and natural refinement about half-past six o'clock two catholic clergymen who had been so attentive to him arrived at the lock-up and for half an hour he was closeted with mr reed then he entered the keeper's room and sat down for a short time in an armchair by the side of the fire 
deeply immersed in thought that his meditations were saddening was apparent by the heavy sighs that came now and then from his breast he was at last fairly in the presence of death but the law was more merciful to him than he had been to his victims he was given time to prepare for the awful change but they were hurled in the midst of their sins drunken and unrepentant into eternity bailey's small and crichton had meantime entered the jail and the two priests commenced the last religious exercises the condemned man joined in the devotions with apparent fervor and he seemed much affected by the exhortation to confide in the mercy of god after that he retired to an adjoining apartment but on the way he was met by williams the executioner who accosted him in an unceremonious manner burke waved him away remarking i am not just ready for you yet but williams followed him and set about the work of pinioning the criminal submitted to the operation without a movement and simply remarked that his handkerchief was tied behind when this was done he accepted a glass of wine which was offered him and on putting it to his lips he looked around and gave his last toast farewell to all my friends for a few minutes he talked with the protestant ministers and then the magistrates dressed in their official robes re-entered the room with their rods in their hands burke seeing the end had now come expressed his gratitude to the magistrates and especially to bailey small for their kindness to him and also to the prison and lock-up officials the solemn procession then formed and marched out of the jail to the scaffold burke was supported on either side as he walked up liberton's wind towards the lawn market by the catholic priests and he leaned on the arm of mr reed the two baileys headed the procession and whenever they made their appearance the enormous crowd sent up one loud and simultaneous shout the condemned man was affected by this outburst of popular feeling and as if afraid the mob might break through the barriers and tear him to pieces he made haste to ascend the scaffold his appearance there was the signal for another yell of execration from the multitude shouts of burke him choke him no mercy hangy came from all sides but otherwise the crowd showed no signs of interfering they wished to see the hangman do his duty properly if he did so they had no particular desire to take part in the work burke looked round somewhat defiantly and then quietly kneeled down by the side of one of the priests and engaged in devotional exercises for a few minutes after which the reverend mr marshall offered up a short prayer this solemn ceremony however found small favor with the spectators they wished to see the culprit and the kneeling kept him out of their view so they cried out to the persons on the scaffold stand out of the way turn him round and though the magistrates intimated by signs as well as they could the nature of the ceremony that was going on the clamor still continued and there were frequent shouts of hare hare bring out hare hang knox he's a noxious morsel the others of a similar kind about ten minutes had now gone and the crowd was becoming impatient after he had completed 
his devotions burke lifted the silk handkerchief upon which he had been kneeling and put it in his pocket he gave a glance up to the gallows and then stepped on the drop with a firm step the executioner proceeded to adjust the rope round his neck and his confessor said to him now say your creed and when you come to the words lord jesus christ give the signal and die with his blessed name on your lips the shouts from the crowd still continued and the people out of their better reason by the excitement cried out burke him give him no rope do the same for hair weigh them together wash the blood from the land and you'll see daft jamie in a minute williams then tried to loosen burke's neckerchief but he found some difficulty in doing so and the condemned man said the knot's behind these were the only words burke uttered on the scaffold the rope was then adjusted a white nightcap was put on his head and pulled over his face and burke with an air of firmness began the recitation of the creed when he came to the holy name he gave the signal the bolt was drawn and the greatest murderer of his time except perhaps his associate hare was swinging on the gallows the multitude set up a fearful yell and every time the body of the dying man gave a convulsive twitch the crowd cheered to the echo an eyewitness said he struggled a good deal and put out his legs as if to catch something with his feet but some of the undertaker's men who were beneath the drop took him by the feet and sent him spinning round a motion which was continued until he was drawn up above the level of the scaffold it was now fully a quarter past eight o'clock and burke had been separated from this world the body was allowed to hang until five minutes to nine o'clock when the executioner cut it down amid the gloating yells of the people they made a rush forward to the scaffold as if to lay hold of the corpse of the murderer but they were kept back by the strong force of policemen who lined the barriers the assistance at the scaffold too seemed to be affected by the general frenzy and a scramble took place among them for portions of the rope or shavings from the coffin or anything that would serve as a relic of the closing scene of the westport murders the great burke and hare tragedies the body was conveyed to the lock-up and the large crowd dispersed without a single mishap having occurred though the people still labored under intense excitement which even an accident might divert in a dangerous direction end of chapter twenty eight Recording by John Brandon